0: if you would take your Bible tonight and turn to Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, tonight we're going to be looking at scriptural baptism, scriptural baptism, Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to read uh, the first six verses, the Bible says, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him, Jerusalem and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing, Their sins. So tonight is just titled Scriptural Baptism, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word, we thank you for that we have a written record, uh, that we might know how we ought to behave ourselves in the church, the pillar and ground of the truth. I pray, Father, that we would understand and give us um, the importance and the symbolism of baptism. And, and the authority of it, we pray in Jesus name. amen. your know, baptism is a New testament doctrine it's not something you know and this is where uh, Catholicism of course you know Catholicism predates Protestantism. Protestantism is a reaction to Catholicism it came out of Catholicism, but Catholicism uh, you know in the in the as early as even the 1st century and 2nd century, there were some of the quote-unquote church fathers, which I really don't have any time for. Uh, they're just men just like the rest of us. I don't think we ought to respect the church fathers as some spiritual giants because some of them were heretics. Um, you know, We have a written record for a reason. We're not to appeal to the church fathers. But anyway, some of the church fathers as early as the 1st and 2nd centuries were already writing things concerning other methods of baptism, uh, you know, that it washes away sins or has some saving merit or that, you know, you can, you know, the, and, and voicing things. And I don't think it actually happened that early of uh, baptizing infants. And, of course, you know, by the year 300 or so, it was starting to happen in some places. Uh, but that, this is where Catholic, you know, Catholicism grew out of that as they've got further and further away from the simplicity of the New Testament teaching concerning baptism. And of course, you know, then if you're baptizing babies, you're baptizing those who don't haven't come to a place where they can believe. Uh, so you're really baptizing unbelievers. And the, the purpose was to wash away original sin. Um, so they said. But you know, the, the, the support they have for that comes from the Old Testament, not the New. But if you really understand what scriptural baptism is, it is a New Testament doctrine, it's not found in any form whatsoever in the Old Testament, in the typology or whatever. Uh, baptism in the New Testament begins with John the Baptist, and he preached the same thing that we are to preach today repentance and faith in the coming Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus submitted to that ritual to fulfill all righteousness in our place. And when we say he submitted to fulfill all righteousness, uh, really what that means is by being dipped or buried in water, what he was declaring to the world is, I'm going to die and be buried and be raised again. Be raised again. So he, he, you know, he was declaring that he was the sacrifice for sin, who was going to die, but he was going to be raised from the dead. Obviously, he had no need to repent. He had no sin. So, why would he then be baptized? Because he was declaring to the world and to, you know, to us that what the significance or the symbolism of baptism is and what he would do uh, as the Savior of the world, be, being you know, put to death and buried and then raised again uh, for our sins. So, so Jesus then began, you know, of course, John baptized Jesus because the Bible says that, that you know, uh, John came on the scene baptized and he was sent from God. And, and he, you know, he, then Jesus began to baptize those who repented and put their faith and trust in him. And then Jesus gave this authority to baptize to the church he started. And they were to baptize those, again, who repented and believed and then teach them in their churches. Uh, uh, Again, baptism that does not follow this New Testament pattern is is not legitimate. Uh, It does not save, but pictures simply the burial and resurrection of Christ. And, of course, is necessary for church membership. So we'll look at several things tonight. You know, we're gonna be looking at, at four things, and they're they're brief, so don't get too concerned. Uh the proper message, the proper candidate, the proper authority, and the proper method of baptism. So, so proper message, of course, we see here in in uh Matthew chapter three says, In those days, John the Baptist uh preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he that which this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And you find this this parallel passages to this uh, in Mark chapter one and verses four and five, where it says, In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. And there were out unto him all the land of Judea, and they had Jerusalem and were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So the message that John gave was, you repent and you are, then you, and, and, and believe on the Christ that would come and then, then be baptized. So baptism, the message of baptism is repentance and repentance faith in Christ uh, you know repentance is really a submission to or a surrender it's really a surrender of your will to God it's a, it's a, it's a change of mind where you surrender your will to God and you know John told the Pharisees there in, in Matthew chapter 3 that they, they were to do works meet for repentance in other words there's a change of heart a change of heart that happens when a person repents it's not just uh, a an assent of mine or an agreement with. It's a surrender of the will. You know, and, and repentance is an ongoing thing. When a person truly repents uh, uh, of their sin, they don't understand everything that they're going to eventually know about God. They're not going to understand every command or every every prohibition, and there are many of them in the scripture, that God gives or just ascribes as sin. But yet, when a, if a person has repented, they will receive it as they learn, because they've got a surrendered will. Because that's really what repentance is about. It's about a surrender, or you might say it this way, a death to self. And baptism pictures that. You die to self. You're buried with Christ. So self is buried, you resurrect to new life. You know, you know, Jesus said, uh, you know, if, uh, if, uh, um, yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember how, how the, um, uh, uh, my mind just went blank. It happens when you get gray hair, uh, you know, or if you had the grandkids all day yesterday. Uh, Laughter. Uh, you know. Anyway, you know, he that was saveth his life shall lose it. But he that loses his life, the same shall save it. So if you surrender your will, you give up your own life, the picture is you resurrect to new life, the life of God. In other words, you, you're not seeking then to do your own will, but the will of God. And so this is the message, the message that John preached that was required for those to be baptized of him in Jordan River. And uh, and so, you know in, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, it goes on and says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is filled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. Uh, in Acts chapter 19, verses 4 and 5, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that she... They should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, so they needed not only to repent, they needed to believe on Christ that was to come. So those are the that's the message of, of baptism that we submit to uh, for baptism. We see also the then the proper candidate. And a proper candidate is one who repents and places his faith in. Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, it says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, some would take that verse, particularly verse 16, and say, See, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. Baptism is required for salvation. No. Again, if you read it carefully, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not, it doesn't say he that is not baptized. He that believeth not shall be damned. But it does assume that if, if a person repents and believes the gospel, they'll demonstrate it by being baptized. Because, again, what baptism shows is, I have repented, I have surrendered my life. To the Lord, I've repented of my sin of my own will. I've, I've surrendered that to the Lord. Uh, in Acts chapter two and verse forty-one, then they that gladly received His word were baptized. And the same day, there were added unto them about three thousand souls. So, so they were they again received His word, and then they were baptized. And of course, the, the phrase to receive His word means they they repented. You know, Peter had told them in verse thirty-eight to repent and be, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And repent and be baptized is really what he said. Repent and be baptized. So, so again, this baptism declares or proves their the reality of their their repentance. You know, this is really really very significant when you think about who Peter was speaking to in that context. He's speaking to the Jewish believers, many of whom had consented to the death of Christ just some days prior, you know, 50 or 60 days prior to this time. And, and so he's saying, you, you need to repent. Don't just say, I repent. Show the world by being baptized. Declare it to the world. Declare it publicly. You know, we often say if a person is truly saved, it ought to show in the life. And and so he was saying, look, you need to be willing to be cut off from this Jewish customs and Judaism. You know, a lot of people say, talk about Judeo Christian values. Would you ever really think about it, that Judaism and Christianity really clash? It was Judaism that crucified our Savior. Now, there is some traditions and the law of God that was taught by Judaism, although it was corrupted by the Druze, Jews of Jesus' day. And so there is some morality teaching in that. But, but really, they're, 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 they're opposing each other. They're opposites. And so what Peter is saying to these Jews is, Look, you need to, you need to, you need to be willing to repent of that. Turn away from it. And demonstrate it by being baptized which was a public confession of faith. And to a Jew, to say they were a Christian and, and, and then to be baptized meant to be cut off from society or, or family. Uh, you know, just to say they were saved but not following through with baptism didn't really cost them anything. It didn't bring the reproach of the Jews upon them. But, but to be baptized was to publicly take a stand and saying, I'm done with the Old Testament law. I'm done with the Old Testament priesthood. I'm done with you Sanhedrin having rule over me. And that was caught, well, that, is, that is that which caused the persecution of the believers in Jerusalem. Their willingness to be cut off. The ties that bound them to the to Judaism. So so this was you know this is what a proper candidate is, one who repents and places his faith in Christ. Matthew twenty eight, nineteen twenty. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I've commanded you. Again in Acts chapter eight, verse thirty six through thirty-eight, uh you know, Philip, speaking to the eunuch, says, And as they went on away, way, they came under a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? You know, to me, it's obvious that Philip, in his explaining who the Messiah was from Isaiah 53, which the eunuch was obviously reading, he, he also taught him that, you know, when a person gets saved, they, are, they repent and they're baptized. Baptism was obviously part of the message. Otherwise, why did he ask? You know, And Philip said, If thou believest all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So, so we see here that uh, the eunuch has believed that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he is the one that has rights to rule over me as God. And he's willing to submit to him, and he gave evidence of that through the waters of baptism. So this is a proper candidate—one who, an individual who repents of their sin and puts their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and and seeks to join a New Testament church. First Corinthians twelve thirteen says, "For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body." You know, the Spirit of God directs. When a person gets saved, the Spirit of God directs a person to join a New Testament church. And so, so, you know, that's what it means there when it says by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. And have but all been made to drink into one Spirit. You know, a person could say, well, I'm not a Jew, so I don't want to join a New Testament church. But that's what they did in the New Testament. Those Jews that got saved, they were willing to be to repent and they were willing to be baptized and 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 become a part of a New Testament church. So, so it's we see here the proper candidates. Thirdly, there is a proper authority, and that is New Testament churches alone have the authority to baptize. In Mark chapter eleven and verse thirty, Mark chapter eleven and verse thirty, again it says. Uh, they 're asking a question, so verse 27 to get to the context, they come again to Jerusalem, and as he is walking in the temple, this is his disciples, they come unto him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and say unto him, "By what authority doest thou these things, And who gave thee this authority to do these things?" And Jesus answered said unto them, "I will also ask you one question, and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things: The baptism of John was it from heaven? Or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? You know, obviously. Uh, but if we shall say of men, they feared the people. For all men kind of John that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Neither I do I tell you but what authority I do these things. So, you know this is a question that Jesus gave them but the the answer in the scripture is obvious in John chapter 1 and verse 6 John chapter 1 and verse 6 the Bible says there there was a man sent from God whose name was John and verse 33 says and this is John speaking and I knew him not but he that sent me to baptize With water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. See, John was a man sent from God to baptize the Son of God. And all those who repent and put their faith in the Son of God which was just to come, which he did. You know, he had his authority given to him from heaven. From heaven. And of course, we read we are in Matthew 3.13, the Bible tells us there, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. And so, Jesus recognized John's authority to baptize. And then... Of course, Jesus gave this authority to the church that he started. We read in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Uh, <clears throat> so, so this is the authority. The New Testament church is the authority, has the authority. And of course, this is passed from church to church, the, uh, the authority to baptize. And, and so you know, only a New Testament church has authority to baptize. And as a New Testament church, we're to receive members only for them churches that have that authority passed on to them. Now, the question obviously is going to be asked, okay, what church, what churches are authorized? What what is a New Testament church? Well, a New Testament church is one that is faithful to the commands that God has given in His Word. You know, one of the things that the the Bible compares a church to is a bride. And when it talks about a bride, you're talking about one who is a bride to one man only. You know, we don't believe in a universal bride. And we don't believe in a universal church. Uh, but but with the, the idea here is faithfulness. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and says, I have espoused you to one husband. So when it speaks of a bride, we're talking about a, a faithful church which is a, which is a bride of Christ. You know so there's several things we could ask about a church that is faithful. you know was it started by a church? Did it have a scriptural beginning? or by a freelance preacher who just went around and did what he wanted to do without any authority? By the way, there's lots of those. Um, you know does it adhere to to Bible? You know, Bible-believing Baptist doctrine. Uh, you know, uh, does it follow scriptural, does it practice uh, church discipline? Uh, does it require, does it require uh, uh, obedience to the commands of God? You know, are they, are they a pastor-led church or a board-run church? You know, in the Bible, what we find for scriptural leadership is pastors and deacons. Uh, but some churches have ruling elders. That's that really comes from Presbyterianism. Uh, they have a, you know, they have a, you know, some of the churches like that. And even even I've known some Baptist churches that have elder rule. They call it elder rule, and, and that's a carryover from a Protestant, the Protestant denomination of Presbyterian. They have what they call a ruling body of elders in their churches, you know, besides the pastor, and really. The people who run the church are the elders, not the pastor. And, and you know, uh, and these are, of course, elected, and, you know, often they're called board-run churches. Uh, and so, so these are the, th- the questions we need to ask if it's a New Testament church. And so, you know, again, only New Testament churches have the authority, really the scriptural authority, to baptize. You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't receive a baptism from a Presbyterian church, even if they baptized by immersion, because their doctrine is contrary to the Scriptures. Um, you know, the, their eschatology would be different. They may be Calvinists, and 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 you know so on. Um, they don't they don't they don't believe the New Testament church has the authority. The denomination has the authority. So there's so there's lots of different things that that as we think about. It, what a faithful New Testament church is! Um, you know, I I went to a Bible Institute, and uh, they they the the church that had the Bible Institute where the classes actually were held had a pastor, and yet the the president quote unquote of the Bible Institute didn't go to that church, and he was an evangelist. And, and, uh, and when the church, where the institute was, had a problem, they never settled it within the church themselves. They'd call the evangelist. The evangelist would come up. And what I found out was that, that the evangelist, he had started a mission called Bible Truth Mission, and the church at one time was in trouble. And, thinking about closing a store, so they contacted him, and, and, and they were going to sell the property, and it was worth like a, a quarter of a million dollars, and this was back in 19, uh, the 1980s. So, you, you know, we're talking, it's worth some money. Anyway, so rather than close the church, he said he would get them a pastor if they would give him the deed to the property. How nice of them! So they, they transferred the deed over to his Bible truth mission and he got them a pastor. But every time, and they, and they claimed, they taught, what they taught in Bible Institute was that the authority is with the local church and I began to scratch my head. You know, I wasn't a member of that church. I was going there, driving that church for, for Bible Institute classes. But I began to scratch my head because what I found out was every time there was a problem in the church, they'd call the evangelist. And I thought, there's something rotten in Denmark here. That's a, you yeah. uh, know, you know something ain't right about this picture. They they say they believe in the local church authority, but yet the evangelist, who's kind of a freelance guy, always takes care of all the problems, which became a real problem, and again, just about destroyed the church uh, because he run roughshod over that and he controlled it like like a uh, like a tyrant. So you know. So, But no, the, the authority is with a local New Testament church. And they have the authority to baptize. So, we see a proper message, a proper candidate, and proper authority. And then, fourthly, a proper method. And, of course, this is dipping a person in water and raising them up. Of course, picturing burial and resurrection, which also pictures repentance, burial, Salvation, deliverance from death. You know, think about that. Burial that speaks, that speaks of surrender or repentance. Raise them from the water speaks of deliverance. Is really what salvation means. Is deliverance. That's what the word means. And so this is this is the the method that is described for us in the Bible. Again, in Acts chapter eight, verse thirty-eight and thirty-nine, and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, and both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him, and when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away the eunuch, or Philip, and he saw him no more. And then in Romans chapter 6, and, and verses 3 through 5, says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism in the death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planned together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So, so we see here the message very clearly of baptism is is it's surrender to death and then being raised to new life. Delivered, delivered, if you will, to new life. You know when you when you believe something, when you embrace the truth. You know you may uh, may have been in school and, and and a teacher was trying to teach you um, how to add. You know you know think back if you can to grade school, and when you start when you really figured out that two plus two equals four. And, you know the light bulb turned on. And it made sense to you. You've got new light. It's like getting something new in your life. And this is really what, you know, being raised, resurrection, it means, is new life. New life. You know, and this is the picture of baptism. Uh, You know, we receive the life and the light. Again, not only do we receive eternal life, but we receive understanding. The understanding, we begin to under, really understand who God is and what he has done for us. Uh, we, we receive light and life. You know, John said that in him was life, light, and the light was the light of men. And so this is the message or the, of the method of baptizing, dipping them or immersing them you know, immersion is not really quite the right word because immersion gives the, you an know, imp- implication that he's not coming out. <laughs> uh, we are going to bring Andrew back up out of the water, uh, Lord willing. But, you know, so dipping is really a, the, the, a better word. You know, we use immersion, but we are going to immerse and then bring him back up. So that is the proper method of baptism. Again, some of the things you do not find in the Bible uh, would be false baptisms, would be sprinkling of Babel's. It's not in the New Testament. You might find sprinkling of babies and some of the things in the Old Testament, but it's not in the New Testament. Again, baptism is a New Testament doctrine. You will never find baptizing an unsaved person in the New Testament. Of course, that eliminates babies. Uh, you know, baptism was performed by some authority. You never find this. Baptism performed by some authority other than the New Testament church. The, you know, Paul was sent out by a New Testament church. And, and often when he'd go to start a church, in fact, he said to when he wrote to the church at Corinth, I, I'm glad I baptized none of you. But was it Stephanus, the house of Stephanus, and I think a few others. But then he said, I didn't baptize. No, but what he did was he authorized, you know, he baptized the first few conter- converts and established a church, authorized them then to baptize their converts that were added to the church. So he, the, the authority was passed on to the church. And, and this is what we see in the New Testament. Uh, so baptism by some other authority than a New Testament church is not scriptural baptism. Uh, again, talking about churches that, don't, that have doctrine current to, to the teaching of the New Testament uh, and do not have the authority to baptize. You know, missing agencies don't have authority to baptize. Um, now, a missionary that's sent out of a church, like the Francis, are have authority because we've authorized them by our sending out of them to baptize, and and so that again, that's how a New Testament church is started. A New Testament church sends somebody out with the authority to baptize and establish a church. Um, you know, mission agencies, Bible colleges, they don't have authority. Nor do they have authority to ordain or commission. An ordination is simply a recognition by a church of a man's calling and qualifications uh, to be in the ministry. But, you know, I have I have seen or been aware of, I knew of, an evangelist. Now, you know, we believe that a New Testament evangelist is really a missionary, but... You know, the modern usage of the word today is of evangelist is a guy that travels around church to church and preaches meetings, you know, every week of the year for 40 weeks of the year, whatever. We really don't find that in the New Testament. But those men do not have authority to baptize. They're not a church. They're not sent out to baptize. They're not sent out. Actually, you know, what you find in the evangelists in the New Testament, like Philip, you know what he did? He went down to Samaria and preached the gospel and baptized those who were com- converted. And then the, the, the pastors at Jerusalem went down and they established that church. But see, Philip was sent out by the church of Jerusalem to start churches. He was really an evangelist. Evangelists in Bible times started churches. That's what Paul was. That's what Barnabas was. So, so, so as we consider these things, you know, so that's why we carefully screen... Baptizing uh, the baptisms of those who desire to join our church. You know, we ask the question is it scriptural baptism? You can become a member of Lighthouse Baptist Church two ways number one, you get saved and then you're baptized here, or like some have done, you know, when Nathan Jacqueline got married, you know, we received a letter from Calvary. You're declaring that she was a member in good standing and had been baptized at Calvary Baptist Church. And we accept the authority, the scripturalness of Calvary Baptist Church's baptism as authentic. So we would receive that. Uh, so the, again, what, this, what baptism symbolizes is a surrender to Christ. You know, a willingness to, to die to self and being resurrected to new life. It's also a symbolism of one submitting to a church authority because the church is authorized, the New Testament church is authorized to baptize those who, who come to Christ uh, and, and desire it.